As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Premier League. We talk Villa Party, Merseyside Derby and Chelsea Arsenal, where blue was both the colour and what Chelsea did with the three points. Plus, Count Doku has the force, bummed out in Burnley and are there nice things to say about Bournemouth? All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Football, you've got to entertain. To Charlton. What a goal! I was pretty good at the game. It was a natural thing. I couldn't understand why others found it difficult. Charlton! Another! He's got another! Bobby Charlton is the greatest player I've ever seen. He's my brother. Legend and gentleman of the game, Sir Bobby Charlton, who passed away. Saturday at the age of 86. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Totally Football Show. It's 22nd of October, a Sunday evening. And with us on the show, we've got John McKenzie here in the studio. Hello. Hi, John. You seem hmm. surprised to find yourself here in the studio. Yeah, well, there's just you and me in the studio. That's so true, because Matt and Daniel, that's Matt Davis Adams and Daniel Story, joining us via technology. How are you both? Well, thank you very much. Excellent. Yeah, okay. Just um, one one journey to and from our nation's capital on this flooded weekend was enough for me. All right. You went to see Chelsea Arsenal, Matt. We'll hear more about that later on. Daniel, uh, just on the subject of Sir Bobby Charlton, an England great and a great Englishman, your paper called him with a nice turn of phrase there. You you literally wrote the book on England. How would you how would you describe him and his role in, in just in the game in this country? Yeah, I mean I read a piece earlier that said were this anyone else or any other footballer of his time, we'd probably know him for what happened in Munich. And the ultimate mark of recognition and respect to him is that somehow, through some feat of superhuman endurance and mental resolve, at a time when football and society didn't really look after those that sort of thing, not only did he continue to have a career, he continued to have a career with people around him who suffered greatly in that tragedy and also built this team around himself or had this team built around him by Samat Busby and I mean I don't think in terms of you know in terms of stories I don't think you can really beat his for for what happened the tragedy of Munich to then 10 years later you know the European Cup is it's absolutely astonishing it's more astonishing for someone of of mine and Matt's and, and John's and yourself's age because we don't really get the full breadth of that achievement and that extraordinary feat of mental resilience because it's just it's like something out of out of storybook and and he did it and and more importantly than all of that he did it with this incredible humility that lasted into his you know right until his final years yeah it won a world cup uh, in the midst of all of that as well the only english player for what it's worth that the late johan cruyff found a place for and his all-time dream team and actually you were i think uh, you posted on social media about the fact that 
a lot of the old greats, when you watch the footage back, they seem like they belong to another sport. But we were looking at some Man United Estudiantes stuff the other day, and it, it was remarkable how fresh and how modern he looked. Yeah, just, a, just I mean, if nothing else, the power on the shots, even at that time, it's like his shots are played on one and a half speed and everyone else's are just at, at normal. It's just this extraordinary kind of traction right foot. And the way when he hit the ball like that, his, like, both feet came off the ground as if he was kind of having to power from deep within it. Absolutely extraordinary. All right. What a great life lived by Sir Bobby Charlton. One of the reasons why this sport is so much of the heart of so much in this country anyway let's get on to the Premier League weekend we've just seen actually Aston Villa's 4-1 win over West Ham that was the only game on Sunday Saturday meanwhile Chelsea went 2-0 up against Arsenal before the Gunners late comeback saw them rescue a point the draw there though means that Man City moved level on points with Arsenal and a head on goal difference with their 2-1 win over Brighton Liverpool are just a point behind the top two after their 2-0 win in the Merseyside derby which featured a red card of course but only one to Everton's disgruntlement Spurs play Monday against Fulham and a win there will put them two points clear of everybody else Elsewhere this weekend, Newcastle pummeled Palace 4-0. Brentford beat up on beleaguered Burnley 3-0. That's the B's first win in seven. Bournemouth are still without any wins this season after letting a one-goal lead slip against Wolves, uh, who are led, of course, by their former manager, Gary O'Neill. Man United beat Sheffield United 2-1 and Luton came from two goals down to grab a point at Forest. Woo! All of which means that it's incredibly tight at the top. Only two points separating the top five teams while we wait for Spurs on Monday, while down at the other end, Luton are a point clear of the bottom three, who are Burnley and Bournemouth and the Blades. Let's begin with Aston Villa against West Ham. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And he is spreading delightfully here for Watkins. Ollie Watkins goes in! When you're smiling, the whole team... Peter Drury in uh, irrepressible form uh, for viewers of Sky's coverage of Aston Villa West Ham. A game which saw the two sides in Claret and Blue go head-to-head and it was a fairly even affair in the first half, was it? But in the second, who wants to kick off on this? John? Yeah, it was a a really fun end-to-end game, I thought. I was a little bit surprised at the way that West Ham came out against Aston Villa because in my head, I sort of view Aston Villa as as being sort of one of the Pokemon evolutions of Brighton this season. So they like to sit deep and bait in opposition presses and then they have this ability to play through those presses and get get the ball into space and really attack and and have these dangerous sort of almost transitional moments which they've generated through possession. And um, yeah, West Ham obviously did very well against Brighton by simply refusing to be baited and sitting deep and and saying to Brighton, come come and break us down. Mm. Uh, I thought they might do the same against uh, Villa, but they didn't. They, they pressed very high. They had Thomas Suchek as a, as a 10 all the way up the field. So um, a fair amount of, uh, of, of muscle and, and physicality up in the, in the pressing unit. But um, yeah, clearly didn't go very well for them because mm. they, they ended up getting smacked for four goals. Yeah. But Villa have also done well against Brighton recently. That's 6-1 victory at Villa Park. In fact... Uh, you and producer Charlie were kind of putting together their scores on aggregate at home so far this season. Across four home fixtures, they've scored 17 and conceded three. Johnny Blaine pointing out 17 goals in four home games is more than Everton managed in the whole of last season. Who have they got next at home at Villa Park? A little side called Luton. Mm. Daniel, what is your take about Villa? Uh, the extraordinary way that they perform at home. And is there a waveform, the, the kind of one question mark about what Emery's doing there? Well, I think it, it, they feel a slightly roll the dice team in that, you know, John mentioned this kind of high light defensive line, which is that's a message that's gone around the whole of the Premier League. Uh, and what it does is it, it also shifts the midfield up 10 to 15 yards. And I, I quite like how they create chances. The first goal showed it perfectly in that Watkins and Diaby kind of both go wide, one left and one right. And that creates this huge space in the middle for pullbacks. And they've got this series of midfielders who love running onto the ball. So Zaniolo, Douglas Weese, who did it for the first goal. John McGinn likes doing that as well. And it's a really effective way of, of creating chances because, as I say, that those strikers go out, the fullbacks push right on, Luca Dean and Matty Cash put right on. They, they create overlaps there, which drags defenders out. And then there's these midfielders kind of charging through the middle for shots, which I really like. But... Even in this game, 
Mikel Antonio is not really the forward to do it. But we saw Lucas Paqueta looking for these balls over the top, balls out wide, and they, they do get stretched. That, that high line looks as if, like Brighton, they'll either do really well in a game or there's a chance for them to get turned over because as soon as a team gets in behind them and works that out and can do it really well, they don't really have a second gear. I, I like what they're doing, though, as a neutral. It's really fun to see a, an Unai Emery team playing with this kind of extravagance and this expanse. It's not necessarily what we know from him, and it kind of suggests an evolution in his return to the Premier League, which is, is fantastic. Mm. Two points off the top of the table while we wait for the Spurs game. One point off the top four. Matt, were you able to see the Ollie Watkins goal? Yeah, a really good week for weekend for England strikers, wasn't it? With mm. uh, Callum Wilson and, and Harry Kane scoring as well. I, I sort of have to remind myself every so often that, that Ollie Watkins was on loan at Western Supermare earlier in his career. Um, Villa have signed him to a, a five-year contract extension, haven't they? And he's a real embodiment of the improvement under Unai Emery. You know, you had Danny Ings coming on late in the game who, who was pretty quickly dispensed with because Steven Gerrard kept trying to make Ings and Watkins as a partnership a thing and it just wasn't working and, and Watkins as the main man is absolutely irrepressible at the moment. And yeah, Villa... This time last season, I just had a look. They were two points off the bottom of the table, and now they're two points off the top of it. It's, a, it's an Good incredible Lord. transformation. Good Lord. Is that the Emery effect? It's got to be. Oh, maybe the not having Steven Gerrard effect plays a part in it <laughs> as well, I would suggest. But yeah, it is, isn't it? It's Unai Emery. What he's done has been been absolutely remarkable. Although I'm sure he would also point to the fact that their recruitment's been pretty good as well. Although there were some question marks over that this summer, I think Zaniolo looked really good when I saw him at Chelsea a couple mm. of weeks ago and he was impressive in this game as well. And, and Moussa Diaby sort of coming to the fore a little bit in, in recent weeks as well. And you, know, you can bring on Tielemans, who's an experienced Premier League player. They, they've got the squad depth to cope with the ridiculous amount of games they're likely to have on the assumption they go deep in the Conference League. Mm. All righty. Uh, a word on West Ham, Daniel? Yeah, I, I, they just haven't quite got that midfield sorted yet. In recent weeks, they've been using, again, John mentioned it, Suchek as this kind of advanced central midfielder, which, I mean, he's been in the goals for sure. I think he's scored five for club and country since mid-September. Um, but you saw for the first, I think it was just before the first goal or maybe just after, but James Ward-Prowse committed this kind of tactical foul when Zaniolo had run past him. And he just kind of sat there and held up his arms as if to say, we've got me, you and Edson Alvarez. That feels like we should have three players that be stopping this. And it's almost as if that because they've got three, nobody's really doing it. Ward-Prowse was nominally playing as a defensive midfielder, but they switched it up second half. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it, ju it just leaves them very open to a team where players are demanding the ball in the middle of the pitch. And there were times when Zaniolo, Diaby and Douglas Rees received the ball maybe 40 yards from goal in about 15 yards of space because two of the West Ham midfielders had, you know, were further up the pitch. And that surprises me about a David Moyes side away from home because normally he tried to kind of keep it really tight away from home, but they were really open. Mm. West Ham slipping to ninth in the table, just ahead of the up-and-coming uh, lads from West London, Chelsea, who's a thrilling 2-2 draw with Arsenal, will be touching on next. Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters, and it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily, it's brief, and it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Saka. Oh, it's a good ball for Trossard. He's made it 2-2. From nothing, Arsenal have got themselves back level. <laughs> Sense the disappointment in that tone. I love it. <laughs> Martin Tyler, Liverpool have scored by that. <laughs> well, I- I'm hoping that Adam Hurry is going to tell me that that was appropriate levels of disappointment for an in-house club commentator, which is very much what I was going for. That banging noise that you can hear, by right. the way, yeah. in the background, that's Jason Cundy slamming his microphone oh, down no way. on the desk two seats down from he me. He took it hard. Sheer frustration. Yeah. I mean, it must have been frustrated for uh, people of uh, Jason's footballing persuasion because 13 minutes to go Chelsea were busy preparing to celebrate a potentially season-changing pivotal home victory against feared opponents uh, whose goalkeeper had let them down on on a number of occasions but what was about to happen to Chelsea? Yeah I mean I still think that this can be a significant moment in in Chelsea's evolution um, under their new ownership and under their new head coach because they played so well for the majority of the game. Not just that, but last season, Chelsea lose that game. They concede the equaliser and there's still about 10 minutes to go with stoppage Mm. time and they would have crumpled and lost the match and they didn't do that. So that is progress of of some sort. But most of the game felt like a massive positive for Chelsea, not least the fact that there was a, a decent atmosphere in the stadium for the first time since, by my reckoning, the Dortmund second leg in March last season. And, and that's because Chelsea have lost pretty much every game they've played at home since then. And a lot of them they've lost with a whimper and, and they certainly didn't do that here. So there's, there was plenty of stuff for them to be positive about. And it almost makes it easier to swallow that a, a huge mistake from the goalkeeper was the catalyst for Arsenal to come back in the game rather than just the opponent overpowering them, which has been the standard thing for the last kind of 12 to 18 months. So yeah, that's my that's my glass half full take okay. on Chelsea. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how uh, Chelsea went 2-0 up. Uh, Arsenal's goalkeeper, David Rea, part of the issue for many observers, certainly the, the fans who were chanting Aaron Ramsdale's name uh, after his first half showing Arsenal looked wildly off their their game was that because of Chelsea's high press putting them out of sorts or or what yeah Chelsea were absolutely exceptional out of possession Um, they played a a fairly compact and narrow 4-4-2 with Conor Gallagher and um, Cole Palmer as the front two in that press which is maybe a little bit unusual people probably not expecting that but I thought they were the two of them were were exceptional along with the 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 wide players as well and their job was just to make sure that uh, no space opened out around the the Arsenal pivots. Arsenal have quite a flexible way of, of of putting players in the middle of the pitch so you'll sometimes see one of their fullbacks inverting inside and becoming a pivot or you may see Declan Rice who was playing as a nominally as an eight further up the field dropping in. You'll even see Erdogan dropping on even Gabriel Jesus dropping in as well to help out. So lots of flexibility in that area. So really important I think for for the team who they're playing against to have the flexibility to be able to respond to that as well and they yeah really good with the with the front line of their press and then the the two eights in Caicedo and uh, Enzo Fernandez being ready to step up and making sure that they're not getting dragged around by all of the movement that Arsenal have and mm. as a result Arsenal really struggled to to build through the middle which has been a, a you know it's been the watchword that I've had all season that Arsenal struggled to to progress the ball through the central areas and so they're getting forced into wide areas and then they get the ball into you know around the corner flag and then they have to try and get the ball into the box to not a huge amount of um, uh, aerial presence so right. yeah it's it's the same old same old from Arsenal I thought and um, and Chelsea for for the most part were I thought excellent at, at just keeping them quiet they didn't look rushed at all until that freak goal goes in and and yeah and then they put themselves under a little bit of pressure which freak, freak goal the Arsenal freak goal or the Chelsea one that <clears> well yeah of course up? so yeah they got they I mean they got the, so the, the first goal the penalty was a, the first goal was a penalty it was mm-hmm. a handball which yeah I mean yeah it, it, you know, it, it in today's rules it's a penalty let's leave it yeah. at that uh, and then then comes that extraordinary effort from uh, Mikhail Mudrik yeah I don't want to anger you Jimbo by bringing up luck again but there's a guy who's not had very much of it, so he probably probably deserved that that little slice of, of good fortune. Lots of people trying to claim that he meant it, including Jonathan <laughs> Pearce and Maurizio Pochettino, but I think mm. we all know that he didn't really, did he? Mm. Anyway, that was a two-goal lead, and it really didn't feel for the bulk of the second half that that was uh, anything that Arsenal were going to come back from. But then, on a pretty poor evening for Spanish keepers, Robert Sanchez goes to basically a routine pass out, would you say, but gets it gets his distribution hideously wrong. 
Yeah, and he's actually been pretty good, certainly in terms of making saves for, for Chelsea this season. But it, but it did feel like distribution would be the thing that would let him down. It happened a lot against Brighton in the in the Carabao Cup game a couple of weeks ago, actually. And yeah, this, this is a bad mistake from him, albeit Declan Rice deserves some credit for the mm. finish because I don't think it's an easy shot by any means. And um, he placed it to absolute perfection. But yeah, not good from Sanchez. And, and it kind of reignites the debate amongst Chelsea supporters that they really ought to have had a stronger goalkeeper in, in mind if they knew there was a chance that, that Kepa was going to go. And here we are. Yeah, I've got Georgia Petrovic on the bench, the Serbian, who uh, came in from New England Revolution. And, and there's people calling for him to come in, which I think is maybe a little bit premature because this is the first time that Sanchez has made a really costly mistake. But yeah, it was a, was a bit of a glaring one. Mm, not the first time that Reyes had an, an off game and plenty of Arsenal fans would love to see Ramsdale back in. The rest of the team, though, hadn't managed a single shot on target prior to that effort from Declan Rice. And then they combined, or at least uh, Bukayo, Saya, Bukayo Saka rather, and Leandro Trosser combined for an absolutely brilliant equaliser. Daniel? I think so far this season it's fair to say because of the struggles through the middle, we've only seen the arse of last season in flashes. But actually as a neutral almost makes them more exciting because it, it you get a quick glimpse at the, that vast potential that if it does click and that's what obviously optimistic supporters are hoping they really can go on a run as they did at the beginning of last season because it's basically undefendable it's not even a, a first choice player necessarily in Trossard but Saka is is a magician and yeah and w- when they do that you kind of think, yeah, why Why did you not try and start that 70 minutes ago? Because <laughs> yeah, I thought they were really passive in the first 30 minutes of the game and they cannot have been surprised by Chelsea's energy because they have they have improved recently. But you know, players like Conor Gallagher kind of running on them, Enzo being able to pass at will, Raheem Sterling doing those kind of into-out Manchester City runs, albeit on the opposite flank. None of that was really a surprise and yet Arsenal didn't seem as they could cope with it. And that's something I thought the same in the North London derby. It was as if they'd been surprised by how their opponent was setting up. I don't know if that's because they were so good last season that they think if we do what we do well, no one will be able to cope with it. But that strikes as very, <laughs> a very poor approach because teams know what Arsenal are about now. It's, that, it's almost like that sort of weird version of second season syndrome where there's no surprise when you play Arsenal anymore. So you can get at them and that's something that Arteta is going to have to help solve. And I don't think he's helped himself with the goalkeeping decision. I think it was a it was a it was a bold call and one that didn't necessarily have to be made at that time. And David Rea was brought in because ostensibly for his distribution. His his save percentage has actually been really good this season. Ramsdale ranks lowest of any regular goalkeeper in the Premier League. So on that, fine. But the distribution, Rea looks really, really nervous with the ball at feet. Two or three times he's playing passes out to a fullback that just either sails overhead or misses them by five yards and Arteta was kind of saying, well, you're treating goalkeepers different because, you know, if a striker misses a chance, then it's not a problem and he gets subbed and no one cares and but nobody ever subs goalkeepers. And you think, yeah, but you know football well. You know how goalkeepers are treated. Ramsdale will be thoroughly sick sitting on that bench. And I know he wasn't on the bench on Saturday, but he'll be sick and he'll be pushing for it. And if Arteta's true to his word about picking on form, then Ramsdale has to come back. Mm. What, by the way, what changed beyond... That error by uh, Sanchez. What what changed the momentum of this game? Was it Chelsea with the intensity of the press earlier on running out of steam? Was it the substitutions from Arteta, the likes of uh, Kai Havertz coming in? Matt, what what was your take? Um, I don't think it was Kai Havertz because he gave a very Kai Havertz at Stamford Bridge performance of kind of wandering around and not doing very much. But generally, the substitutes from Arsenal did have far more of an impact than they did from Chelsea and that that speaks to well Chelsea's injury situation as much as anything else I think but um yeah the depth of of Arsenal squad it was it was disappointing to see Nicholas Jackson miss that opportunity when he came on and don't like to just put everything on oh, well it will all be better when Christopher and Kunku comes back mm. but I do think that that will make a massive difference that this strike me as the kind of opportunity um, that he would be able to put away but yeah I think maybe it was just just a bit of a bit of tiring I'm pleased that John mentioned Conor Gallagher because um, it, it is quite baffling that, that he continues to be linked with it with an exit from Chelsea he's Maurizio Pochettino's captain at the moment and is, is pressing an energy which are kind of things that you can damn people with faint praise of saying oh he's got really good energy and he's really good at pressing but he's a super intelligent footballer I think he's really underrated in that regard and he's 
becoming a key player for Pochettino. And he just looks like a Pochettino-type player, doesn't he? He always felt like he was going to be important to this Chelsea team. Now, whether that's the case when Romeo Lavia comes back or Carney Chukwemeka, who started the season in the team, I'm not sure. But for the moment... Uh, that's his shirt to lose. Although I was surprised, I must say, that it wasn't him who got involved in the penalty dispute oh, yeah. between Raheem Sterling and Cole Palmer, which was somewhat unedifying. But I kind of thought maybe it's big brother vibes. Because obviously Sterling and Palmer know one another from, from Manchester City. And maybe Sterling was thinking of all the players who were going to take the penalty. This guy might acquiesce and hand me the ball. But mm. I loved Enzo Fernandez with the kind of menacing smile of a capo in Tony Soprano's crew, just kind of, nah. Cole and pointing to Cole and that was it and the decision was made and yeah there scary guy mm. John you've got in the can a TIFO podcast all about Chelsea under Pochettino what moved you to make that yeah well we've been quite quite lucky with with the game this weekend being right, as, right. as good as it was but I've had a sense that Chelsea are, are better than people think they are the yeah. underlying numbers are quite good so I thought it'd be good to to get something in the can so I spoke to Sam from London his blue podcast um all about just the the whole you know, we started talking a little bit about last season and what went wrong and how things have started to fix over the summer and where they're at now so yeah really really an enjoyable episode I think because uh, Sam yeah really really uh, interesting thinker about Chelsea and based on what you heard where do you think Chelsea are going to finish up this season? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, there's still a bit of teething room. And as, as uh, Matt was saying there, there's, there's still a lot for them to, to sort out, namely, you know, have players back from injury. Um, but if they continue the way that they're playing, if they play like they, they did yesterday, mm. I think there'll be no problem certainly being, you know, solidly a top six side again, which uh, seems weird to, to say that wasn't really the case last season. But yeah, I think they're, they're going to start becoming a, a pretty tricky uh, prospect to, to face, especially given in the, the game yesterday, you know, what is it that Arsenal do so well? They, they build up well and they and they press really well and it felt as though coming back to the Rob Sanchez thing right mm. Rob Sanchez had been brilliant at distribution that's part of the reason why Chelsea had been so comfortable for 76 minutes and yeah I've not seen many teams get through Arsenal's press quite so well as as, as they did uh, as well so I, I think there's there's plenty of um, good stuff to come from Chelsea that's the TIFO podcast on Chelsea other Chelsea podcasts are available aren't they Matt they sure are, yeah. Uh, London is Blue is a fine one. But if you'd like to listen to Straight Out of Cobham, that right. is the Chelsea podcast from The Athletic. I'll be asking Liam Toomey to explain his piece that went up on Friday on The Athletic, analysing Chelsea's Robert Sanchez and basically bigging him up. And we had some um, <laughs> some fairly ripe tweets about that very thing. So we should be going through those and more. Excellent. All right. Daniel, any other Chelsea podcasts we should know about? Not for me this week. Okay. Ooh, always welcome always yeah, welcome I mean there's so much to talk about with Chelsea but also about Man City of course you're doing a video about how to stop Pep Guardiola's Man City John is there anything in there about using 37 year olds to counter explosive Belgian white men well yeah I mean the, the short answer to the question is, is it's very hard to beat Pep Guardiola and I've been right. digging through a lot of the numbers hmm. um, and they are pretty incredible so since Pep Guardiola has been in charge right. 274 games in the Premier League he's coached um, with a loss percentage of around 13% which is the same I think that's 37 games uh -huh. uh, out of those 274 13% um, loss rate in the FA Cup as well so that's the same so is there one common thing that the, the people have done in those 37 well, games well yeah <clears throat> I, by the end of the video I basically say there's two things you can do you okay. can either do the, the, the sort of tried and tested formula which is sit deep um, hope that they have a bad day in front of goal mm. and hope that you have a good day in front of goal and pray right. to the gods. Um, or the Rodri suspension. Which is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is, um, yeah, a lot. most of the teams who've done it have done it that way. There's more teams, I think, coming through now who are, who are taking sort of sl slightly smarter approaches than, than that, which is, okay, we can't just let them dictate the play. We're going to have to do, we're going to have to cause them problems in their own half when they're building up. Um, and so we saw that from, uh, I think, Arsenal, a good example of that uh, um, a couple of weekends ago or before yeah. the international break where there was situations where they would press high um, but they would recognise when they were leaving themselves exposed and drop back and they, they have the ability to be very flexible in the middle which I think is important because Man City are so flexible under Pep they just look for weaknesses and if you plug a gap they they find a gap somewhere else mm. so Inter Milan as well I should say Inter not Inter Milan but well, yeah. Inter, Inter in the Champions League final very interesting approach from them they were very flexible as well so yeah that's the thing you, you sort of I mean in that respect you pray to the gods as well because they're still yeah. very good but um, yeah very, very interesting digging into all of the data so okay i mean i vaguely referenced the the, the docu the decision to put milner in at uh, right back up against jeremy 
Doku, which caused, I imagine, some ums and ahs in the press box when it was announced. What would be the rationale for that? Deserve is a smart guy. What would he be thinking with that? Well, Tarek Lamptey was injured, who I think would have been the option in a kind of fight, fire with fire, having pace out there. Uh, Joel Veltman has played right back for Brighton. He was on the bench, but he's, has been more of a natural central defender. I suppose he, he kind of went for, if we're going to have a, a not particularly quick player, why don't we go for the kind of nous and experience? Mm. But in that sort of form, I think, you know, without defending Milner, I think better, more natural, younger fullbacks than him would have struggled because Doku is has hit the ground running like I certainly didn't expect. City are this this season, it feels like Guardiola is playing with, he's decided he wants to win the Premier League title with kind of strangulation and all-out control. I think they've scored 19 goals in their first nine versus 29 last season or something. Uh, so he wants to get a lead and then he wants to sit on it. Because of that, as I say, they're playing with this kind of ultimate control. And yet Doku is this kind of wild card maverick, Silla's number three, who every time he gets the ball, just puts his head down and tries to beat a player. And as a neutral, it's fascinating because he's such an antidote in this team. And I really hope that Guardiola doesn't hmm. kind of slowly exert his control, tactical control over Doku and make him do what occasionally he did with Jack Grealish in the second half of his first season, where he just kind of got the ball, turned back, played a pass, little triangle, moved forward. Doku's doing the opposite of that. He's just head down, running at goal-beating players. And that, it's, a, it's a joy to watch. Mm. Erling Haaland ended his epic goal drought with a fine strike. Could have had another as well. That's nine in nine now for him. City, meanwhile, setting a new record for the Premier League era of the sport we call football. 21 home wins in a row in all competitions. They've got the Manchester Derby. Is that home or away next weekend? That's at Old Trafford. That's at Old Trafford. And no Manuel Akanji for that because he got a very late red card in this game. Mm. We'll hear about... What awaits them at Old Trafford uh, soon enough because you went to Sheffield United, Man United on Saturday night, Daniel. But, oh, Matt is shaping up to proffer something on this game. Yeah, I just wanted to to say on Brighton, no wins in, in five mm. in all comps, albeit four of those have been away. But it feels to me like they're about to go on a good run and, and kick their season off because they've got Ajax, haven't they, in Europa League this mm. week, which feels like a huge game in Brighton's history. But it's not Ajax of old. It's, it's Ajax who are in the relegation zone having won one game all season so that feels like a kickstart your season kind of game if you win that and then they've got Fulham Everton Sheffield United and Forest as their next league game so you easily take nine points from those and and all of a sudden everything looks rosy and, and I thought it was good of De Zerbi as well you know if somebody gets subbed off at half time it's because they're not playing well unless they're injured and he was given the opportunity in his post-match interviews to confirm that and he said no the reason that we struggled there was because the forward players weren't tracking back essentially not because James Milner was one-on-one with Doc it wasn't his fault and I'm sure that was appreciated by um, by Milner and the rest of the Brighton players. Excellent. All right, next up, we're on to Merseyside. Hello there, Io here. Listen to me on the Athletic Football Podcast, where we go deep on the biggest stories in the game, providing insights and analysis from the very best journalists in the business. You won't get this anywhere else. Available now on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search the Athletic Football Podcast now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. McAllister will help it away. It's a lovely ball as well. Darwin Nunez has an open expanse of turf to run into. He has support. He has Mohamed Salah. And Liverpool have a second goal. Saturday lunchtime, opening game of the round, saw Liverpool beating Everton 2-0 at Anfield for the third season in a row. Was it as straightforward this one as the, the others? No, not really. Uh, certainly not until our second of two very old English fullbacks playing slightly out of position. Um, Ashley Young, who who didn't get taken off at half time because he'd already been sent off beforehand. And 
Yeah, uh, Liverpool were struggling and they were struggled to break down Everton with 11. They struggled to break them down with 10. Um, Mohamed Salah tends to have this thing at the moment where he either plays really well and doesn't score or kind of acts on the periphery of the game as this sort of kind of latent threat and scores and, and did so twice. Um, but Liverpool are still, I think, getting to grips with that midfield. John will know more than me from a tactical point of view, but this was Ryan Gravenberch's first start, which felt like a real show of confidence from, from Klopp. Uh, and I thought he was good at, at doing the things he did, but he was slightly limited in terms of his, his offering slightly as kind of compartmentalised. He was play, playing his own game. Uh, and they still need to sort out the balance of, of Alexis McAllister as the six and Gravenberch and, and Dominic Schoberslai. And, and if the answer is do whatever gives Schoberslai as much room and space and licence to go forward as he, as he can, then right now that's the answer because he has been by far the most impressive of, of Liverpool's summer signings. Excellent. A lot of Everton grumbling about the fact that Ashley Young walked for a second yellow, but Konate didn't get uh, a second yellow card for a challenge that could easily have seen him go into the book. Is that something you want to talk about or should we just move on? Would that have made a big difference, do you think, had Liverpool gone down to 10 men as well? They were still drawing at the time, I think. And mm. I think, you know, Everton did a, a pretty good job of keeping things tight when they were down to 10 men and uh, it took a penalty to break them down. And then obviously yeah, they were going for... Minute, huh? Yeah, and they were going for the goal and that was when the second goal came came from. They were pushing down the field a bit more, left a bit more space open. So, yeah, I think Everton would argue, yeah, parity again in terms of the players would have made a big difference. Mm. That luck thing again, Matt. Mm. Yeah, and that, that kind of brings me to the statistic that shocked me from this game. I wonder Ooh. if it might concern Jurgen Klopp or whether he thinks it's a good thing that they're creating the opportunities. But they had 26 shots. I know they're playing against 10 men for a lot of the game, but to only score two of those, one a penalty and the other a late breakaway, um, feels like that's quite profligate and might come back to haunt them if that is a trend that continues in recent weeks. All right. Are Liverpool not scoring many goals anymore? Well, they should have scored more than they did in this game based mm. on that statistic. Mm. I think they, they seem to have this thing whereby whichever three forwards they start, probably Mohamed Salah omitted from that, slightly struggling. And then the ones they bring off the bench look really good. And then Klopp is tempted to start one of those that came off the bench and that player doesn't then look particularly good. And the one who comes off the bench looks really good. I mean, he would sell it as brilliant attacking strength in depth. And that's true. They've probably got, I think, the best attacking talents to bring off the bench of any Premier League team, including Manchester City. Uh, and it's getting done. You know, they are still in, you know, they're still near top place having mm. not clicked and still bedding in that new midfield and I think it's just going to be that whichever combination of forwards ends up on the pitch at the end of the game gets them out of sticky situations that was basically the story of this game It's something that they need to address by January isn't it because Salah will be off to the African Cup of Nations if he's not off to Saudi Arabia mm. and he scored their last four goals Ominous Ominous Alright ponder on that while we take a short pause and then come back with ooh, big weekend of the Championship This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. Hold up. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big weekend in the Championship, eh, Matt Davis-Adams? With your multi-plate-spilling pod uh, lineup of uh, What the EFL? When's that out? It's going to be out on Monday. Be a good it? show, actually, because, uh, as you say, Championship, interesting. But we also had a pretty extraordinary rant from the Accrington Stanley owner. And we've got the Walsall manager, Matt Sadler, on with us as well. Oh, brilliant. What will mm. you be talking about with him? Uh, maybe his team's 3-3 draw, how he's feeling as we enter Not the Sopranos season. this time, then? Um, no, that was a Johnny Jackson specialist subject. I have to find out what, what I love about this, James, and I'm sure that you'll get a kick out of this too. Matt Sadler is the Walsall manager. What's Walsall's nickname? The Mats. <laughs> is it the Sadlers, Matt? It is the Sadlers. Brilliant. All right, excellent. He's in the saddle with the Sadlers. Nice. Uh, so, uh, ooh, this weekend in the Championship, you had Carrick against Rooney. How did that go? Uh, Carrick won late on. Uh, he's, they, they, they've been struggling Middlesbrough this season, but he's managed to turn it around, it looks like, Michael Carrick. Somebody who we spoke a lot of last season as a, a real up-and-coming coach to watch. I don't think Rooney will be, be too disappointed. It wasn't a, a shellacking hmm. or anything. Um, did you note that he has appointed John O'Shea and Ashley Cole as his coaches? Of course. Rooney? Yep. Mm. Mm. Uh, a manager who's not struggling, Enzo Maretzka. His Leicester have recorded the best start that any championship side have ever made since the first division became the championship. Yeah, it was a gamble, wasn't it, to put him in because he hadn't had much in terms of experience as, as the full-time coach. But but I think what they did really well, Leicester, was they, they obviously got the money in for, for Madison and, and for Harvey Barnes and their new Tielemans was leaving for a while. But the players that they brought in have hit the ground running and they've managed to keep people like Kelechi and Acho, who just looks a cut above in the championship. You know, he's in that kind of Robert Earnshaw, Cameron Jerome Vortex maybe, but while he's in the championship, he's going to score a lot of goals. Excellent. I mean, the... Hmm. This is a very obvious point in terms of the strength of teams that now go down from the Premier League, but Leicester's bench in the Championship at the weekend had Connor Cody, England international, Mark Albrighton, Kelechi Inacho, Patson Dacker, Harry Soutar, they paid £15 million for them in the Premier League. It's just, it's, it's astonishing the gap in quality that they have in, and the strength and depth compared to nearly every other club in the league. Southampton are probably the only exception and they sold a lot of players and they're kind of getting to grips with it as well but they now seem to be going on a run Leicester will I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tribute to Ipswich that they're even within yeah. Leicester's sight at the they're moment five points behind but Leicester 11 points clear of the playoff positions already it's remarkable remarkable stuff bottom of the championship are a Sheffield club much like the Premier League it's United in the Premier League and, and Wednesday in uh, the in the championship they've hired the German manager Danny Ruhl uh, to take charge there. Uh, producer Charlie says it'll be fun if he puts a winning streak together. Yeah, I like to think that they've hired a role to get him out of the soup um, nice, as also. well, which yeah. would be good. But I mean, what's really happened is they've appointed a 34-year-old who wanted to take his first steps and therefore came pretty cheap because the owner's decided he doesn't want to put any more money into it, I ah. think. Mm. Okay. <laughs> That's the big sell, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to my Sheffield Wednesday podcast, coming soon. <laughs> they lost at Watford this weekend, uh, thanks to a late goal from Asprilia. Not that one. Oh, all right then. Excellent. Well, you can hear more about all that and much more in What the EFL, which is out, Matt, when? It will be out on Monday. Monday, okay. Also out on Monday is Full Time Europe, which is, of course, the Athletics Women's Football Podcast. Uh, the Totally Football Show European Edition will be out yeah, probably first thing on Tuesday, maybe late Monday. Uh, that'll be looking forward to match day three of the Champions League and all the Thursday night action and rounding up all the crazy stuff that's happened this weekend around the various continental uh, divisions. Uh, La Liga, for example, sees Hirona now, what, only goal difference off the top? That's right, yeah. I've done a video on the most surprising team. Look at you, right John. Now. Yeah, well, look, look at them. They um, they went 2-0 down against Almira today and ended up winning 5-2, which was five good. 5-2. I'm also a little bit worried that I'll, you know, damn teams by making videos about them. But yeah, absolutely right. flying with Michelle as their, as their coach and um, really, really fun football to watch. Uh, they've got Daily Blint playing for them at the moment, mm. uh, which is which is, which is is nice. Um, yeah, really, really fun team to, to watch. And if you want to find out more about them, you can go to the Tifo IRL. YouTube channel. Very nice. That's out right now. Mm -hmm. Right now. Okay, back to the Premier League. Oh, down at the bottom. Forrest had that 2 2 draw with Luton. There was Brentford 3, Burnley 0. Bournemouth uh, had a pretty disastrous home game against Wolves and their former manager, Gary O'Neill. And Sheffield United 
also lost 2-1 at home. This one to Man United. Daniel, you went to this game. Mm. Uh, my first question is kind of why, but... Uh... Well, I got back from holiday from the Silly Isles at about 3pm mm. on Saturday afternoon and not content to drive from Penzance to Nottingham, I decided to also drive from Nottingham to Sheffield and back wow. later the same evening. So I had, how, how was your journey? Uh, absolutely fine, thank you very much. Uh, I saw a Sheffield United team, which is gaining a pretty annoying habit for their supporters of competing for about 40 minutes of every game, Newcastle home shellacking aside, and just not having enough, and generally just not having enough on the bench. You look at the subs they bring on. I think Manchester United brought on, they certainly brought on Varane and Mount and Martial and Eriksen. And, yeah, and you know Sheffield United cannot cope with that. I was mm. walking out the ground and some old guy was speaking to his granddaughter and his granddaughter was sort of really upbeat. She's about seven years old. Said, oh, we played well, we played well. And he, he sort of said in this really weary Yorkshire accent, he's like, there's no point competing. It doesn't give you any points. And I thought, welcome back to the Premier League, Sheffield United, because that's that's how it feels at the moment. They're, do, they're not doing anything particularly wrong. They're just not quite good enough. All right. They've become only the fourth team in Premier League history to take only one point from their opening nine matches. Do you know who the last side to do that were? Hint, it was Sheffield United. <laughs> oh, oh, po- oh, and the post-Wilder season, was that? Uh, yes, it would be, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so that's what you saw from Sheffield United. Uh, but what about Manchester United ahead of their derby clash with City? What did you make of them? They're just not playing very well. Uh, Diego Dallo is, was really poor until he scored a, a brilliant goal, albeit Wes Fodering made it look a little bit better than it was. I remember when uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to be this used to talk about this like team of individuals where someone would have to produce something amazing, mm. and they're like that. But the moments aren't even being produced. So you've got Bruno Fernandes trying to play these Hollywood passes. You've got Marcus Rashford trying to take on players but going down blind alleys. Uh, you've got Anthony not really doing anything at all. Scott McTominay has got Endeavour, but not a lot else for Manchester United. They were good enough because Sheffield United weren't very good. But yeah, and I kind of looked at Manchester United Twitter after the game. It was kind of a sea of wins a win. I'd never want to think about that game ever again. And Mm. that's not really the form you take into a a Manchester derby, albeit a fixture in which they they typically do very, very well. Oh, we'll see next weekend. Meanwhile, John, you had the pick of all the three (laughs) o'clock, five of them there were, the three o'clock Saturday afternoon games. You could have... Man City, Brighton, you could have all sorts of things. You went with Bournemouth Wolves because you've watched every single Bournemouth game this season. Yeah, I'm a sicko, James, I'm afraid. Um, this is because of uh, Andoni. That's right, mm. Andoni Areola, who I really enjoyed as a coach in La Liga. He was coaching mm. Rayo Vallecano. Just to cut to me, you, you, you cherry-picked this fixture, actually, didn't you? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to. All right, sorry. Yeah, but anyway, you really enjoy his. uh, (laughs) Yeah, his his Rayovac kind of were excellent. They they caused some uh, really incredible upsets in La Liga in the last couple of seasons. Wins against Barcelona, Real Madrid. How far away are Bournemouth from pulling off anything like that? Yeah, it seems it seems quite far from where they're at right now. Um, It's it's been a tough one for Bournemouth because they've had a really really tough schedule um, so far. So they they picked up points in in that tough schedule against um, West Ham who were playing well at the time and Mm. um, there was also a game against Brentford where it was a a late equaliser from Brentford right in injury time could have been their first uh, win and then Chelsea as well they got a nil-nil draw against them other games have been involved Liverpool um, Spurs as well so and Arsenal as well so they've they've had a really tough schedule and then they had this run of three easy easy in in um, scare quotes games against Everton and then Wolves and then they've got Burnley next week. The question is whether or not the, the, the pressure put on them by their tough schedule has made them just drop the ball a little bit in, in those two games. They gave away a very easy goal against Everton, which started a, a chain of a reaction of, of terrible events. And then in this game as well, comfortably 1-0 up in the first half through a, a wonderful goal by Dom Solanke, who's been playing really well under Iraola. Uh, and then in the second half, they gave away a really cheap goal early on. And then Lewis Cook got sent off for a headbutt. Uh, which was the last thing that they needed. They played really well down to 10 men. Uh, and then for whatever reason, they decided to give Wolves a goal by another goalkeeper error. And that was it. That was two on down in a game that they really needed to hold on to the lead in. And um, yeah, now they've got Burnley and you kind of feel as though if that game doesn't go the right way, then it's uh, curtains for Andoni. Mm, really? Yeah. When they said that Neto was the big goal threat for, for, for Wolves, I thought <laughs> yeah. they, I didn't realise they were going to be etc. And so on. Yeah, Wolves are now on a full match unbeaten run in the Premier League with the man who preceded uh, Iraola. 
you think that this could be the final week for the Spaniard there? Well, it's hard to know. I think they were, they were quite patient with Gary O'Neill last season. Obviously, mm. he he pulled them out of the mire in the end, but um, there was there were points in the season where they could have let him go. But it's, it's one of those ones where so much of what Iriola is doing is based around this really intense high press. Mm. Um, and if it doesn't work, it can be quite disastrous. So uh, there's a few times when teams have just broken through their press and, um, and and had really dangerous transitional moments. Did he have a similar difficulty at the start with Rayo Vallecano before things turned? Well, he right. took them over in the Segunda, so oh, okay. I guess there was less there was less one less scrutiny on him, but mm. also the you know less pressure. I think playing that kind of play style in the in the Segunda division, so he had chance to sort of get the team up to up to speed before actually hitting. All right. Matt wants a piece of this Bournemouth chat, and so does Daniel as well. Matt? Yeah, I'm, I might be putting two and two together and making five here, but Iriola's assistant at, at Raya Vallecano, a chap called Inigo Perez, hasn't had a work permit through to actually come and join him. And I wonder how Ooh. significant a figure he is in the whole thing. So he's still sat back in Spain working remotely, I believe, but he's not in England as part of Iriola's staff. And uh, that could be significant, I guess. You can still produce the goods remotely, Matt. Just <laughs> on, the, on the record, it's it's worth saying. It is worth saying that I believe that the the assistant manager that Matt just mentioned there has only been working with Iriola for a year, uh-huh. which is why he struggled to get the work permit. Right. So it's not that he's been there the whole time with with uh, Antonio Iriola at. Raya Vallecano so obviously that's not an ideal situation for him I think he only ended up bringing one coaching staff along with him and that was mm. a, a member of the fitness team so um, yeah he's, he's clearly not been able to have the, the sort of staff working with him that he would have wanted so it's, it will have had an impact mm. The other thing to say that is not ideal is that they've they've just allowed 45 shots against Everton and Wolves combined which um, I mean I know Everton have been you know surprisingly attacking this season but that is an, a massive problem. They've clearly got an issue in central midfield where Alex Scott's not been fit and Tyler Adams, it sounds like, is now out till the new year. But they're going to have to protect that defence better because it, it just isn't good enough. Aneto is not a superstar. He's not going to... If you allow 22, 23 shots per game, you're going to lose probably more than 2-1 each week. Uh, that's without the indiscipline. That's without the individual mistakes. So... Yeah, they've got a. He's clearly got a huge problem on his hands. When you when you play pressing football, if your press doesn't work, then you're screwed. And that's right. sort of where they're at. Their press isn't working right now, and so they are quite open. So I'm looking forward to next Saturday when, as you mentioned, they in 19th place will be taking on the team in 18th spot right now, Burnley, who themselves are having a rotten time of it. Indeed, it's their worst start to a top-flight season ever. No, actually, it's their worst start to a top-flight season since 1888-89. So pretty much yeah. ever. Beaten 3-0 this weekend by a rejuvenated Brentford. Woof! Their first home win of the campaign. Oh, they looked amazing. Yeah, I, did, I was looking for notes for, for the score as I do on a kind of Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I just went on a Burnley forum. And it was a kind of Grandpa Simpsons into the pub and out meme because I just went in. The first comment was, that's our worst performance in the Premier League era. Straight back out again. I know what I'm going to say. Because the fans, yeah, they are starting to... Um, to turn on on Vincent Company's lack of compromise, I think. Um, the signings they've bought just look really bad. Sander Berger's getting over on in midfield. Mike Trezor, I thought, might be a really good signing. Looks really bad. What do I know? James Trafford's not really offering anything that Murich didn't last season as a goalkeeper for the fee. And they're making their own problems. They're, they're very, very similar to Bournemouth, actually, in that they're committed to this way of playing, albeit not under a new manager. And when it doesn't work, it looks bad very quickly because... They haven't got the individual players or the players with the experience to drag them out of a hole. The strikers are incredibly raw and they're just not creating a chance. I think only Sheffield United are allowing more shots and that's not a club you want to be in this season. Blimey, that sounds like a pretty glum fans forum you went to there, uh, Daniel. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I sort of salve, it was salve after Forest on Saturday. I sort of pop all right. in on, the, on all the misery clubs. OK, well, they're on at three o'clock on Saturday, next Saturday afternoon in the... Uh, trip to Bournemouth so you can uh, you'll be tuning in for that one I'm sure by whatever means it is you employ uh, anyway that's going on uh, we haven't mentioned two other fixtures this weekend so far one of them of course yes Matt is and indeed Daniel Nottingham Forest and their 2-2 draw with Luton which from the highlights that were last on match the day looked absolutely thrilling the Hatters 2-0 down with 7 minutes to go come roaring back to snatch a point at the city ground. Woof. Yeah, really pleased to help them get one step closer <laughs> to, to 12 points. Um, 
if nothing else. It's really, really annoying for Forest to have dropped the points, not just in this game, but in the last two. They ought to have beaten Crystal Palace, who had a ridiculous amount of injuries, and they should have beaten Luton. They haven't done that, and now they have to go to Liverpool next week, and I feel like pressure's going to crank up on Steve Cooper, undeservedly, mm. um, but you know, given the nature of the owner and a certain section of the Forest fan base. But, um, you know, Luton, we're talking about Burnley and Sheffield United, and Sheffield United don't have the players, and Burnley haven't bought well. You can see Luton adapting. You know, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I really like... Like Rob Edwards, I think he's a a really promising coach, and you can see that that he is adapting his team, and his players are getting used to the Premier League, and they seem to be getting a bit of a handle on it. So, of all the promoted sides, you'd, you'd make them the the favourites to um, to stay up, I'd say. Uh, I, I was looking at post match quotes from Rob Edwards. I, I thought I'd read a little section of them out and just work out if you can determine which element of Luton's play he was happy with on Saturday. He said the spirit, the fight, and determination they've shown that pleases me. We'll always keep fighting. We give everything and we fight to the very end. Mm. We want to emphasise that. The lads don't give up. They fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight to the end. Was that Rob Edwards or Penny Morden after the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's right. They do fight. And, and that is something that Burnley and Bournemouth below them are not really showing. And Sheffield Knight don't really seem capable of doing. This kind of incredible togetherness in the club has remained because they didn't make wholesale changes. The other thing I thought was really nice statistically out the weekend... Coming back from 2-0 down away from home in the Premier League means that the last four times Luton have done that have been in the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two, (laughs) which is a pretty incredible kind of marker of their progress over the last seven, eight, ten years. Magnificent, magnificent. All right, well, they sit just above the dotted line, one point clear of the bottom three as it stands. Newcastle 4-0 up against uh, Crystal Palace uh, Saturday, another of the three o'clock games, uh, which is... uh, Newcastle do score goals, but Palace don't concede them really like that normally. So what happened here? Apart from the fact that Newcastle just looked amazing. That Callum Wilson goal, woof. Yeah, really incredible breakaway goal. I think Jacob Murphy was probably the the standout player in the game, isn't it? But it's always worth remembering that Callum Wilson missed a year and a half of his career. Um, not too long ago and for him to have re-established himself after two really serious injuries is is incredibly impressive on his part but yeah like you say James Palace don't concede many goals they don't score many either they've only scored seven only Bournemouth have scored fewer than that so if if they're not keeping clean sheets they're not offering much but you know you'd think this is just one of those one of those games for them and Newcastle you just repeat what other people have said but it's hard to find a new thread with Newcastle because the thing is they're doing all this and and the players who are starring for them with a couple of exceptions are not players who've been bought since they became moneyed the fact that well, yeah, Trippier is the, is the standard, I guess, exception. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And and you, know, you can you can say a couple of others have certainly helped and, and added to it. But the fact that people like Jacob Murphy are still contributing to mm. this Newcastle team is not something that many people would have thought would be a thing, I don't think. So fair mm. play to him. Excellent. The most expensive uh, new signing, of course, Sandra Tonali, uh, is, according to the Italian press, not likely to be playing for them from now on for probably over a year. Uh, but the club uh, standing by him very visibly and indeed bring him on for the last 20 minutes of this game. They've got Dortmund on Tuesday in what continues to be a pretty enthralling Champions League group, that. Uh, any notes about Newcastle, Daniel? Uh, well, just they've got the you know the best attack in the league at the moment, basically. They've, mm. they've scored four or more in a game three times a season. They only did it four in the whole of last season. They scored eight away at Sheffield United. They can score four at home. They seem more than any other team... I think because it all still feels a bit new that there's no sense at all of we've got a two or three goal lead. Let's just manage this one through. They're playing Dortmund on Tuesday and yet in the last 15 minutes they were they, they won the game in the first half and yet everyone's still flying forward and wanting to score goals, which as a supporter is exactly what you want. You never want to feel like anyone is taking it for granted. They just want to score as many goals as possible, which makes them really good to watch. Yeah, excellent. As you say, they'll be uh, part of the Tuesday night Champions League program uh, but that's it for now we've got Monday's Spurs-Fulham game in the Premier League Matt any other conclusions about today or should we just wait to see what more football happens and then digest that yeah make some conclusions then roll back on them uh, in a few days time and perfect. make some different ones perfect John looking forward to all your content thank you uh, that's going to be either already out there or dropping soon and all those Chelsea podcasts and Daniel one last thing well, I was just going to say I'm going on the trip of a football lifetime this week. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, spending the week with 
K.I. Klaxvik of the Faroe Islands, no. who are the first club from the Faroes to ever qualify for European competition. Right. They incredibly drew with Lille in their last home European game. Uh, they take on Olympia Ljubljana this week, clearly hoping to win their first ever uh, European game. So I'm kind of spending time with the coach and the head of the fan group and the editor of the newspaper. And it's to say they are excited about this season and the coverage is is an understatement. So yeah, I've got four days in the Faroes, so I cannot wait. Brilliant. What's the weather forecast like? Uh, drizzly and foggy. Apparently the Faroes has a kind of unerring ability for sunshine to disappear into thick fog within about five minutes. Really? And it is the first time I will be driving a car outside of the UK. So if nothing else, that'll be fun. Brilliant. All right. Daniel, I look forward to hearing all about that. Uh, in a week or so. Uh, for now, that's it for this Totally Football Show. Do join us for any other of our uh, podcasts or affiliated productions in the next day or two. For now, though, many, many thanks to Matt, Daniel, John and producer Charlie and you, listener, from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.